Bonjour, film lovers. Did you know that you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio? We also have a website, realnerdspodcast.com, where you can find cool articles and other ways to listen to the podcast. You can also follow us on social, Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast, and Twitter and Instagram at Real Nerds. You can also call us at 720-6-NERDS-5. We will listen to it, we will play it, and we will probably commentate on it. Also, email us at realnerds at gmail.com. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Hi, this is Georges Genty, and you are listening to Real Nerds Podcast. Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast at Denver Comic Con, no more, uh, Denver Pop Culture Con 2021 and beyond. I am Ryan, with me is Brad and Zach. Hello, hello. Every week on Real Nerds Podcast, we try to see a new movie and podcast our experience to the world. Uh, this week we saw On the Rocks with Rashida Jones and Bill Murray. Directed by Sofia Coppola. Yeah. So stay tuned to that movie. We'll tell you if you should see the film or not. Play the trailer and uh, then spoil the film. Uh, We also talk about movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, movie news, and also movies we've been watching. Our reoccurring segment we have at the top of the show, though, is Brad going around town. Hey, film buddies. Follow me around Denver. Uh, so the Holiday Twin Drive-In has, I guess, stopped showing uh, featured releases. So I'm going to move over to the 88 Drive-In, where uh, they're like the last game in town this late in the season. And they are showing Goosebumps 2, Zombieland, the original, and Resident Evil Afterlife as their triple feature. Going hmm. on through, I guess, October... What's it? What are we at now? October, probably through October 15th at this point. Yeah. Okay. This, so. so this might be the last bow for them then at this point. An important thing to note that I had to find out the hard way is they are not open Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday anymore. Ah, So gotcha. it's, it's Thursday through Sunday. So Just like the Alamo. Just like the Alamo, just like Landmark Theaters. Yep. Hey, I can't wait to go to Regal. Oh, uh, wait a minute. It's real news. Yeah, uh, God, we have like horrible energy tonight. <laughs> no, no, I, th- I, I thought you were doing the transition, so I was pulling everything up. Um, yeah, no, um, Ryan no, already. Every, he's right. Everything sucks. Yep, he did. And um, I mean, I don't want to read the news, but we got to read the news because it's our duty. Um, yeah. Ryan already. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan broke the news to us earlier uh, in this weekend that uh, Cineworld, uh, the parent company for Regal, um, has decided to shut down its operations in both the U.S. and the U.K. Um, with the uh, shutdown taking effect this week. Is that- uh, this is in response to the latest delay for James Bond's No Time to Die, um, which was supposed to be coming out in November and has now been pushed to spring of 2021. 
Yeah, and that also means in the UK, over five thousand five hundred jobs are are at, are uh, being eliminated completely overnight. Forty five thousand in the United States. Yeah, is that is this yeah. permanent? Like they're out of business, or are they just postponing again? No, they're closing because, like I've been saying for two weeks, the movie industry is totally fucking over the theater business because they're refused to release movies, and that stems from. New York and California won't allow cinemas to have people in it. And it, I don't know. It still annoys me because I understand trying to be safe, but it's so inconsistent with everything. I mean, you can go to bowling alleys, you can go to church, you can go to Walmart, you can go to Sam's club. You can do all this stuff, but you can't go see a movie. At this point, I think it's deliberate. Like they're trying to force people to adopt streaming entirely. Well, I mean, it's not it's not the theaters. I mean, they don't have a choice because... Well, yeah, the, uh, the, the studios are sabotaging the theaters because they don't want to have to split revenue with them anymore. Well, do you think they don't want... Well, I mean, they have no control over if theaters open in California or New York. No. But, no, I agree, too. I, I think it's... They, they, they're trying harder and harder to make sure that streaming is the way to go. And you still can't replicate the movie going experience. You know, I went and saw Raiders a couple weeks ago. And when you're there in the sound design, I mean, it's, I don't mind watching at home. It's still fun, but going to a theater and hearing the actual sound design, you know, an indie writing, uh, the big Nazi on the tarmac and the planes going in circles and each punch like vibrates the theater. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your, and it's your connection is getting really bad. Mine. Yeah. So, yeah, the so it's just there's something that's missing and it's it's sad, man. I I get this pandemic thing and, you know, we need to be safe. But at the same time, it gets to a point where it just gets so freaking aggravating. Yeah, I mean, Cineworld, Cineworld being essentially, as you've already pointed out, they're being kind of, their hands being forced. When, when they're losing up to 1.6 in revenue during the first half of this year, they're already in a tricky position. Whether or not they reopen is entirely dependent on studios either sticking to release dates or meeting with them and discussing the issue. Um, which well, and that's what I mean, they don't, now it's not i mean just now i mean the batman got delayed over a year so so this is part of a uh, another chunk of release dates that have been shifted too but what i what i've been saying is is it's no longer when a movie's coming out it's when is it going to be delayed because they they just don't help they're not helping the situation i i read a i read an interview with um i forget his name but he's in charge of like the lobbyist part of the movie industry and you know he he said that if they allow theaters to open in la and new york that studios have told him that they might move movies back into 2020 i don't know right and there's a there's a multitude of factors on states getting their numbers down but also just taking whatever chances that we've taken out here when our numbers are down. I don't know the numbers out in LA and New York, so I cannot comment on it, 
but we were able to reopen because we had reached a certain level to where we could give it a shot. And I mean, I've been inside a Regal theater since reopen the reopening and it was pretty much dead to begin with anyway. Um, but that was for like tenant opening night. I don't know how many people were even planning to go that particular night. Um, but I haven't been back to it since, but that South Glen theater, like when it goes dark, I, I, I do not want to, I don't want to see it go dark again. I also don't want people to feel unsafe, but as you said, like there's no consistency of what's but when, uh, but when is it people being, uh, people feel safe and the fear that's being driven by stuff out of their control. Right. If, it, because I mean, what, if you're wearing a mask, if you're social distancing, it shouldn't be an issue. And if, but there's no clear answers. No one gives a clear answer. Everybody's confused on what's happening. And so if you're told repeatedly that it's not safe to go there by sites like slash film and people that are supposed to be, you know, in the movies uh, help bring movies together, um, you know, they're, they're part of to blame. You're not sending a clear message. You're not sending people why it's safe. I still don't get why you can have 35,000 people at a football game, but you can't have 30 people in a movie theater. The sports industry has better lobbyists. Well, yeah, and it, 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 that's what I mean. It's, it's, that's where it's aggravating with this whole thing. And you're talking to some – I mean, I, <laughs> I had COVID, and it sucks. But at the end of the day, it's – what are we going to – I don't know. I just get frustrated. And every time really? I read it, like, I mean, the reason, you know, the Batman's delayed is because now the movies they're filming that they're supposed to put in 2021, they can't because now they have too many movies from 2020 that they've pushed to 2021. Right. So now there's no more room on the calendar and I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop for my fucking Spider-Man movie. <laughs> there's um, well, there's some news about that Spider-Man movie we'll talk about in a second, but I was gonna. I was gonna point out that the fact is that when they keep pushing the release dates, that also sends another message of uncertainty to people who might be interested in going to the theater. I've said before that going to the theater at this point now is is it's your prerogative and your comfort level, obviously, but it doesn't help when the delays keep happening. It does. It's one more way the studios are sending mixed messages that they don't even know how to get together. But and I would it, always, I would counter back, Zach, is you, you, if, so here's the thing with this virus, it's here, you know, you can get it from, you work in a, a place, Zach, that sees how many people go into your supermarket a day? Oh, uh, I, uh, over a thousand, I, I would say at least. Say, thousands, right? Yeah. So it, it <laughs> I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I, I totally get so it. So people and, are safe to go to a, a, a grocery store where thousands of people have touched thousands of products, mm -hmm. but you can't, no. it, it's, it, it, I, I'll never, I, I just, I'm always, I'm lost for words now. I just, I'm just sick of it. It'd be really easy for the studios to do team up with the theaters and do a campaign about the safety of the theaters, but I'm telling you, the studios are trying to sabotage them so they can enact the Paramount decrees, buy up these, you know, theaters that are, are going to sell because they just can't afford to have uh, them anymore. And then they're going to take a hundred percent of the theatrical revenue. Like that's why they, they're not helping them. That's why universal and AMC got into the spiff that they did earlier in the year. And that's why AMC had to compromise and acquiesce to a lot of universals 
desires in terms of being able to do PVOD. So this is, you're right, Brad, this is, this is, this is the, the, the death nail in the coffin that they've been trying to wedge in there for years. Yeah. Because the business has changed so much and technology has changed so much that they don't need them anymore. But the thing is, is that like, it's, I, and they know that the, like, the majority of people don't care about the theatrical experience. Like, yeah, we love seeing indie like punch Nazis and 7.1, but like realistically the average moviegoer is fine watching a movie on their phone. So, oh, no, I, I mean, I agree. You know, I, my wife is a wonderful lady, but she could care less. Honestly, she, you know, when I tell her uh, she's watching Hocus Pocus or something on Disney plus, she doesn't notice, you know, the bit rate dropping and she doesn't notice the lack of detail and colors in the streaming. She doesn't care about that. She likes the convenience of sitting and hitting a remote and it popping up. You know, she was making fun of me the other day because I've been rewatching friends and I've been watching it on my Blu-ray discs. And she says, why don't you just stream it on HBO max? I said, I, you know, it just, to me, it loses some of its dexterity and it loses some of its uh, detail. Um, I don't know. And there's, a, and, there's a, and there's a reflex that you feel with it. Like, I like doing it with Futurama and The Simpsons. I like popping in the disc the way I – it's not to, you know, toot nostalgia's horn here, but I remember doing that with my Simpsons DVDs and going like, oh, time to pop on the next disc, and then maybe I'll go through the disc again with the commentaries. Like, there's a ritual to it that I enjoy. Like, I, I enjoy that element of it. When I binge-watched Star Trek Next Generation, it was fun, but I was like, man, I kind of wish I had the discs on here so I could, like, explore further or at the very least not worry about the stream going like loading, 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 just as Picard's about to say something dynamic and dramatic, you know? Like, you know, but it also goes uh, to, they, they're forcing you dream. They're forced, just like uh, mu uh, music, they're forcing you to get Spotify. They're forcing you to download it. They're tired of you making of you having physical copies. I mean, how many laptops now have disc drives where you can burn your uh, album in your iTunes account? They don't right. want you to do it anymore. Yeah. Well, and, and there's, I, I mean, there's always the argument of like, well, the, you know, the future doesn't stop for anybody, but I do like these physical copies of things. I don't want them to go away. I have, I literally had to pick up, um, I wanted to pick up the old dark house. Um, it's coming this, uh, this week. I, I was tired of having to rent it via Cohen media all the time. I'm like, I just want the disc in my hands. I don't want, I, I want to be able to pop it in whenever I want. I don't want to buy a digital copy and acquiesce to Amazon. I certainly don't want to keep re-renting re it or finding it on YouTube somewhere. So like it, it you know, there are people like us who still want these physical media products. It's why we're dropping $160 on the Friday the 13th collection, a collection that more or less we've owned in different forms or fashions over the years multiple times because <laughs> we still care about people actually taking the time to make something cool for the fans or the people who at least appreciate physical media enough to get that item. Yeah. So, they will but, always be renting, like never owning. Because if you own what? it, you know, you, you get three yeah. screenings out of it. If, if you're always renting it, they're always collecting revenue. Yep. And you know, there, I, like I said, there is a great article that talks about, uh, I should find it and try to repost it, but the streaming makes you believe that they have every option available, 
when they don't, you know, stuff is always leaving certain platforms. And that's why I got um, the office is coming out on Blu-ray in a couple weeks. I ordered it because yeah, I can stream it on Peacock if I want, but Peacock is like Hulu and it's going to have commercials unless I want to pay more money than the streaming is only like five years. And then where's it going to end after the next five years? Right. And are they going to censor more episodes? Exactly. And that's another thing too, is they, (laughs) they tell us what we can and can't watch, whether it's gone with the wind or uh, this week I shared with Brad, you know, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I'm surprised that it took them that long to recognize uh, stuff about Aqua Teen because I mean, you know, and I love the episode Hand Banana, and it's about a genetically made dog that likes to rape people. And uh, the one that they deemed was inappropriate was getting bitten by a radioactive black guy. You know, I don't know. Um, and well, and, and Gone with the Wind didn't get taken away. They they removed it temporarily to give you a special bonus feature. Uh, they still took it away for a little bit. Yeah, but they put it back that's on. What I, that's what I mean. It, it, what if eventually it just becomes too much and they take it away completely? Because and, they're telling you what you can and can't watch. Just saying. And I don't, I don't, I don't particularly see it that way because I don't think that that film hasn't gone away for eighty years. I don't think it's going to go away without without the fight by some people who don't don't even bother to watch it until it becomes a political issue you and i have watched the movie but like i understand what you're saying those television episodes we should be able to have access to them in order to you know like have a discussion around them if we find anything offensive about it but we shouldn't get rid of it entirely but is it truly offensive to people i'm not talking about gone Wind. i'm talking about oh yeah no you know yeah. like aquatine um, and community and stuff like that exactly yeah. i mean it, what is comedy without pushing boundaries what is anything that doesn't open up a discussion you know and i'm not i'm not excusing racial insensitive and insensitivities i'm just saying in the proper context it's fine Mm -hmm. um yeah you know and and understanding where, where the joke comes from like i mean i don't know I, I don't I don't have the answer because I'm not the smartest human being in the world on this, but I know that removing it, unless it is causing direct harm, which there's no evidence apart from like scant examples in cinema's early history to suggest that any media product is responsible for an actual crime being committed. And so there's not, it, it, getting rid of it doesn't solve anything. Yeah. Hey, Brad, you might remember better than me. Am I remembering that right? It's like Shake gets bitten by a radioactive, like African-American dude, right? Uh, I've, it, the later episodes, I'm not, my memory yeah. is great on, but that sounds right. Yeah. I, I guess he just acts like him. I don't know. Um, yeah. I'd have to watch, I mean, I, I own it on DVD, so I don't have to worry about ever losing it. Um, Because that's the first thing I checked when I saw that. Is, I said, man, do I have that col- on my collection? And luckily, I have the first seven volumes of Aqua Teen. So. Yeah, apparently there's 11 seasons. And yep. I don't have the Aqua Unit Patrol Squad or whatever, which is like 30 bucks now as a DVD. I know. Um, but I think even after that, there's still episodes that didn't make it to physical. I, I think the Unit Patrol is the last one, if I remember right. Yeah, but like it lists 11 seasons and I don't think there's that many episodes on all those DVDs to 
equal that. Yeah. So I think there's a few that are out, like just we can't get a hold of. I'll, so. uh, Ryan, I'll bring up an example that you and I have talked about. When HBO Max first came out, where was the first section we kind of looked at apart from the Looney Tunes section? It was the TCM section, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what film did we find out was there? And then this copy turned out to be a massive piece of crap transfer, bringing uh, up baby. Bringing up baby. That, that, so they're going to just put that up there. And because people just stick to that platform and watch it, they don't need to put money into a 4K transfer of it or even a 2K transfer for that matter. I'm not even asking for 4K. I'm asking for somebody to treat a movie by Howard Hawks starring Cary Grant and Kate Hepburn some respect that it has deserved. A film that, by the way, has no controversy around it either. (laughs) My hope is things like uh, films like that, the Criterion Collection will always take care of. I'm hoping that will end up there because you have something like bamboozled on criterion which i think i mean it's purposefully uh offensive Mm -hmm. but uh, people like criterion do a great job of making sure those movies never get lost i mean something like showboat i mean they have i mean irene dunn is performing in blackface in it yeah and the showboat blu-ray has um you know it has a special feature on it about performing in blackface and, and why it's and, culturally insensitive you know yeah, and, and the same goes for bamboozled which has similar features on it to discuss why the film is doing what it's doing it's any other film in general too it's not even let's even throw those two off to the side there's like there's films from different eras of cinema that they provide those contextual yeah. pieces and the criterion channel does have those features on them but there's something lost there that 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 i feel on a personal level like i just love those discs i love the work and the care that they put into them um and they always like, have nice essays in them yeah they do and those like just because they have those on the criterion channel now who's to say that they won't eventually remove them in favor of other films because criterion channel doesn't just have their titles they've also been licensing other films that they don't even have on their boutique label physical media which is interesting and cool, but it's also kind of like, well, who's to say they're not going to try to get more content and then they get rid of that bonus feature content in order to make room on whatever, whatever they store everything on in order to make that happen. So yeah. Yeah. Point is buy physical media. (laughs) Look at us whine like little crybabies. We're like, Uh, I don't know. I'm just like in a, yeah, I'm just in a bad mood from this week. I really am. I'll, I'll tell you, like, I don't even feel like I'm whining. I'm, I'm just like, I've, I've, this, this last week has been coming to terms with certain elements of the future taking hold, but we'll talk about it in the review. But, you know, like going to see the movie this week in a theater was a great experience. But there's, there's caveats to that, obviously. But there was, there's undeniably something that I've been missing when I had this particular experience. But like I said, we'll get to it later on. Can I move on to another piece of news? Yes. Okay, so... Um, we all know that I covered uh, a certain director uh, years ago before I started doing Shamley. Um, this this man um, has my view of him has changed over time, and my uh, assessment of him has changed over time. Yet, regardless, he still manages to stay alive, keep making movies, and keep stretching out this fucking fucking series. Clint Eastwood is going to direct and star in a movie called Cry Macho. 
at Warner Brothers. Um, he will star as a rodeo, uh, a former rodeo tra- a horse, tra- a horse trainer and former rodeo star named Mike Milo, who schemes to make 50 grand by snatching a streetwise Mexican boy from his alcoholic mother in Mexico City and delivering him to his father. Guys, um, I'm going to make a, an address to Clint Eastwood directly. We get it. You're not going to stop. You've won. I'm tired. I'm, I, I want to go home. <laughs> nah, yeah, I would, I would never advocate for someone to retire if they're still enjoying what they're doing. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm kind of joking from the perspective of like, because I still need to do an article on Richard Jewell. And, um, and then I'll have to do one on this eventually. So I might just <laughs> wait. But, uh, but it, I, I appreciate that he's still working from that respect. Cause I've always said in that series, like what's interesting is that he's never stopped directing because he always finds something new to learn each day about the job or about storytelling, et cetera, et cetera. Um, my, my views on his films changing over the time that I did the series aside, it's interesting that he's uh, going to, to get another film off the ground again, obviously, What's even more interesting is, though, he's retired from acting how many times? I think that's what's more kind of eye-rolling to me. I'm like, how many times are you going to say that this is your last movie you're going to star in, and then suddenly it's not? Like, it was supposed to be Trouble with the Curve, then it was The Mule, and now Cry Macho. I, I just... I'm just wondering, like, does he want to stop starring in movies? Because I don't think he does want to stop. I think he just he has to wait for somebody to, to wow him again with a script idea. But until then he just says, ah, this is it for me. It's like Steven Soderbergh when he said he was going to retire and then he painted for a little bit and then came back and made iPhone movies. Like nobody ever stays retired. I just wish they would not, not say it because it just, it always comes back to bite him. Like Robert Redford saying old man and the gun is my last movie. And then Avengers Endgame is his last movie. <laughs> yeah. He could have, you know, shot Again. avengers endgame first yes yes that see that's what i think the actuality is it's just one of those things of just like oh i guess that wasn't your last movie the 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 that old man bank robber movie um anyway though it's not a joke i i'm curious to see what it is i still haven't seen richard jewell like i said my i got clinted out and i was tired of him blowing his mouth off in the press so i'm just kind of like I'll just give some time away from this, but yeah, it'll be coming. Uh, I don't know whenever movie theaters are allowed to show Clint Eastwood movies again. Cause I guess that's a different uh, spectrum. Let's move on to some news with Ryan alike. Ryan, do you want electro back? Uh, yeah. I'll, I, I mean, it was a shocking piece of news when I read it. Ooh, Ooh, uh-huh. Ooh wonderful pun. And that leads us into the news that Jamie Foxx's electro will be coming back in sp- not Spider-Man 3. I'm going to call it MCU Spidey 3. Because when I see Spider-Man 3 in every headline for it, I'm like, guys, they made Spider-Man 3. It was directed by Sam Raimi and starred wait, Tobey Maguire. Wait, right, I'm going to call it, so it's October 5th, 2020. It's going to be mm-hmm. called Spider-Man Homesick. Ooh. You'll be watching Ooh. it at home Biting through your streaming commentary. device. <laughs> I will not. I'll be watching it in a theater. He's going to break into the Disney screening room. <laughs> because I, it, it will it will stick with the theme that they're going with the MCU stuff. And his uh, since his identity has been revealed, he can't go home. So he'll be homesick. I'm such a genius. Okay. 
Okay, okay. I thought for a second that you were pulling a COVID joke, but no, that's actually that actually works. Um, but but you know how I said uh, Toby Maguire a minute ago? Question mark. Um, it looks like he and Andrew Garfield are now in talks to be in this movie too. So it looks like the uh, it. it I don't want to sound stupid, so Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong. It's not a multiverse, is it? Um, well, I, I mean, we have the multiverse of madness coming out with Doctor Strange, so right. So then, so then, that's what they're they're probably aiming for with this casting. Is like, okay, if Doctor Strange opens the doors for that multiverse, then we can start bringing back old Spideys into the mix. I mean, um, I, I I think it's a really cool idea. I think if. Um, I mean, my I tweeted about it and I posted. It. I, I I actually do think they're going to do this after. This is what I thought after the Electro news, is uh, they're going to Tom Holland's Spider Man's going to recruit the other Spider Men to fight the Sinister Six. Ooh! So then that's how they Sony gets their Sinister Six movie, and MCU still gets to keep Spidey. So who are the other three Spider Men he needs to recruit? No, you just need three. They can take on the six bad guys. So two bad guys for each Spider Man. Fuck yeah, Spider-Man alone has beaten the Sinister Six, Brad. <laughs> Spider-Man outwits him with his brain. I just want uh, apparently I... not enough because he needs two other Spider-Man to help him this time. Yeah, well, they might be really strong. <laughs> or or Ryan, Elliot Gould comes up to Tom Holland and goes, "You're going to need 11 Spider-Men." <laughs> and then it's Spider's 11. But how uh, sweet would it be if, you know, Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina both come back. Oh, oh How don't am I? <laughs> don't you tempt me with a great time, Ryan. Don't you dare tempt me with a great time because I will take because it. Because then you could have Green Goblin, um, Doc Ock, Vulture, Scorpion. Can, can I'm going to say Morbius and Venom to finish can, out the Sinister Six. I wouldn't say the Vulture or Doc Ock hate Spider-Man, though. I think they... Mm-hmm. They're kind of indifferent. Yeah, Molina didn't hate Peter Parker. The the, the claws made him do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, 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 what about Thomas Hayden Church? We could probably bring him back as. Uh, I Sam think the Sandman's okay not coming back. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> he was cool. He, I, I'm not advocating for a certain um, uh, black suited um, uh, character. Uh, start name starts with a V coming back in any way, shape, or form. I'm totally fine if he is just nowhere in the proceedings. Um. Uh, anyway, or what if the whole thing's the mastermind of Mysterio, where Sp- Spidey thinks it's a multiverse, but Mysterio didn't die, and he's just in a being. He, he did mention there's a multiverse in the last movie. Yeah. What What if Ryan? There's a multiverse in the directing of this movie, and Sam Raimi ends up directing his fourth Spider-Man movie, while John Watts directs his third. <laughs> <laughs> I want that to happen. <laughs> Um, it, by the way, Sam Raimi's still doing Multiverse of Madness, right? Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. We'll talk about Sam Raimi later. Um, uh, moving on, though, uh, Glow has been canceled after the previously announced season four um, was announced. Now it's no longer happening due to COVID-19. So I angrily so, tweeted at Netflix. Yeah, I, I know you did. They'll be reversing the decision soon enough. Trust me. They'll be going, whoa, 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 this brad dude's pissed is he really going to cancel his subscription maybe we should reconsider this <laughs> nelson and netflix says fuck brad <laughs> no it's like I, that and like i guess stranger things are like the only things i line up you know time for on netflix everything else is just like i guess i'll fill space with this yeah um well they will never get rid of stranger things that's too much of a marketing juggernaut for them 
uh, they will because the kids will age out. <laughs> so, yeah. Have you found in the season four there was some kind of outbreak as a result of everything that happened in season three? I don't know. But yeah, that's really shitty because season three ended on a huge cliffhanger, and now that's not going to get resolved at all. So. And if I read the article right, they were going to make it right, and then they're yeah. just like, "Yeah, fuck it." Yeah. Yep. They were all on board. There was a there was a wrestler who was signed on to do it that posted about it and how sad she was. The work that they've done so far is not going to be seen. So yeah, Mark Mammer's like, "Sorry guys, this sucks." <laughs> I I liked his tweet because it was just pretty frank. <laughs> but you know, since I mean, a lot of things are shooting right now. Why is it so hard to shoot Glow? I don't know. I really it, don't. I do think it's just an excuse so they don't have to pay them probably more money because it's in its fourth season it's not even that like i wouldn't say it's even that popular of a show that people should be demanding raises and there's not like any huge stars that are like breakout movie stars on it so did they have any delays prior to covid like anything involving um no 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 then i guess then maybe there's just it isn't like a juggernaut of, of like capital for Netflix, like, but then again, neither is giving one hundred sixty million dollars to Martin Scorsese. So I don't know what they're what they're thinking, but you know, yeah, like, it's baffling. Yeah, like usually when they make decisions like the one I just mentioned, I don't question it. I just enjoy what I get. But when it's a TV show, it does suck because they don't let things finish up. It's the same thing happened to MST3K late last year. You know, and it was, we all watched it. I watched it multiple times. Still wasn't enough for them to say like, hey, you know, we, we don't need to spend very little money to make this this sci-fi show where the biggest amount of money we spend is licensing the films themselves that we make fun of. You know, I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah, Netflix treats their shows like shit. Yep, agreed. Um, well, maybe Apple TV won't treat theirs like shit. Because we just got a trailer for the Snoopy show, and I want that to last until I die. I know, it was great. It looks adorable, right? And it doesn't look like they're disrespecting anything. It feels like the Peanuts movie that we saw four years ago. I'm I'm totally down with this. Um, I do wish that it was kind of more or less a reboot of um, Charlie Brown and uh, Charlie Brown and Snoopy show, which was basically like the 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 one that they did in the uh, mid eighties to early nineties question mark. I don't know the, um, the, the time frame of it, but it was the one I watched on Saturday mornings all the time um, or in weekday mornings when they had it on Fox. So, but if it's just Snoopy related, that's cool too. I mean, Snoopy's a great beagle in history. Fun fact, he went to the moon and wrote a novel and hunted down the red Baron. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and he did all this while being a vulture. And then Woodstock tried to copy him being a vulture, and he said, "Because <laughs> I just read that strip the other day. Um, and that's news, unless I missed anything. Oh, uh, I got some blacklist news that I'm sure Ryan will love. Oh, fuck. Ryan, mute. <laughs> um, dang it, where is it? Hang on a second. I just want to get his name right, because uh, Clark Middleton has died... Um, he was an actor on the blacklist and Twin Peaks, and oh, uh, he had a pretty fun arc on the blacklist last season, and uh, yeah, this reaffirms that uh, after you know, now that Brian Dennehy's gone and uh, Glenn, that they should have ended the show last season. <laughs> so, a way to make me seem like an asshole, where I'm like, "Fuck that show!" Oh, yeah. one of the actors died on it. 
This is not your week. Not your week, Ryan. Not your week. You were you weren't going to watch him either way, Ryan. He was on Twin Peaks and The Blacklist. It's just hitting both of your both of your weak spots that you'll never hit. Um, but he was on the revival of Twin Peaks. Um, yeah, that's sad. Terrible shame. Yeah. Hey, what movies are coming out that you can get physically? DVD releases and Blu-rays. Well, Ryan, uh, do, do you did you like Shutter Island? Did you not care about Shutter Island? Um, I'm indifferent to Shutter Island. Well, oh, well, you can now be indifferent about it in 4K because it's coming to 4K um, uh, that you can pick up as well. Um, Warner Brothers is putting out 300 in 4K, which seems like that should have happened a long time ago. It just seems like that movie is way too popular for them to have not um, put that on 4K as soon as possible. But you can get it now on 4K if you like. Um, Kino Lorber is putting out The Secret of My Success with Michael J. Fox, which I've never seen before. Ryan, have you seen this, uh, Brad? The Secret to My Success? Yeah. Or Secret yeah, of it's My awesome. Success. Okay, I've not seen this movie. Would I like it? Uh, I mean, it's a silly 80s movie. Oh, okay, well, then I'm on board. <laughs> when I say, like, awesome, I mean... It's fun. It's not game changing. It's not it's the reason why I haven't heard that. Right <laughs> the reason he can't sell it to me is because it's not Orson Welles in black and white. <laughs> yes. Um, it's currently uh, streaming on uh, Prime, I think, or mm-hmm. Hulu. I'll have to check it out. Uh, Kino Lober is also putting out another Michael J. Fox movie called The Hard Way, which co-stars a, which co-stars a jackass. Um, and uh, you can pick that up if you want. Please. I watched uh, that on streaming a, bunch, a while ago. It's pretty, yeah. pretty bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm good not spending my money on that for multiple reasons. Uh, Criterion's putting out a movie called Pierre Le Fou, uh, which I only bring up because I remember being recommended that film in film school. <laughs> um, so if my old film school teacher's listening, I still haven't watched it yet. Maybe I will this time. They pronounce um, it Le Fou? Pierre Le Fou, F-O-U. Huh. In Cowboy yeah. Bebop, there's a similar character. Uh, there's a character with that name called Perola Lafo. Yeah, it's a it's a uh, Jean-Luc Godard film, so um, it's uh, that might also be why I haven't seen it because I haven't been deep into Godard. Um, Warner Archive is putting out Drop Dead Drop Dead Gorgeous on Blu-ray, which I think this is the first time this movie's been out on Blu-ray. Um, so if you want to pick it up, you're more than welcome to. This is a movie that I keep getting told is amazing, and I still haven't seen it yet. Um, it's okay. Okay, right on. Well, then I'll definitely have to check it out. <laughs> um, uh, Battlefield Earth uh, looks like it's getting a Blu-ray release. Um, mm-hmm. Feels like that should have happened also just for the sake of people having something to, you know, like prop up their coffee table when it feels like it's too short on one leg. Um, but yeah, if you want to watch that garbage, sure. It, I will not judge you. Um, Curse of the Undead. I you are, though. I, I, I kind of am because it's... We all know what Battlefield Earth is for multiple reasons. Um, Curse of the Undead from 1959 is coming out to Kino Lorber. Um, it features a man on a horse with a cape strewing about in the wind and a woman looking scared. Um, so Curse of the Undead. Seek it out if you would like. Um, I, I think pretty sure I'm going to get that when Kino Lorber does their, you know, $5.99 Blu-ray sale. Mm-hmm. Because I love the cover art of a vampire riding a horse. Yep. So I didn't even, I've never heard about this film, Ryan, but now I'm interested as well. I might just go get it now. It's a B-grade Western with a twist. Mysterious gunslinger for hire, Drake Roby, is really a vampire. 
and it's up to Preacher Dan to save the town and his girlfriend, Dolores Carter. Ooh, Ryan, I think I'm just going to get this blind by. <laughs> this sounds like fun. Western vampires. Um, Star Trek Picard season one is coming to uh, Blu-ray and it looks like it's got a nice little steel book coming out there. Don't... Yeah. I like the cover art for it. Yeah. looks cool. I still haven't watched Picard. So maybe I just won't indulge CBS all access and just buy it on Blu-ray. Um, let's see. Um, Jaws 4k already came out. So I don't know why that's on here. I think that's because it's not the one that has like the book with it. Oh, so this one's just the standard one. Okay, well, you can get a regular copy of the Jaws 4K if you so wish. Meh, um, I have the really sweet blue uh, steelbook. <laughs> nice. Um, a movie called The Tax Collector, which had come out earlier this year and stars Bobby Soto and Shia LaBeouf um, unwisely uh, donning brownface. Uh, it's coming to 4K if you want to check that out. I have not seen the movie. I It doesn't look like something I'd be interested in. Um History of Horror, Eli Roth's History of Horror Season 1 is coming to Blu-ray, uh, courtesy of uh, AMC Blu-ray. I actually want to pick that up because I like the series a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I know I can stream it on Shutter whenever I want, but I'd love a physical copy of it. So just saying, physical copies are cool. Um, and then uh, it looks like there's actually a Star Trek 10 movie um, Blu-ray and digital pack that you can pick up. It's like a slim jewel case. It'll probably contain all the, it just contains the 10 movies. So if you don't have a Star Trek collection and you need something on the quick and cheap, this is probably going to be your best bet. Um, and then Flickr Alley is putting out Chicago from 1927 this is a silent film. It's one of the original adaptations of the Roxy Hart story. So if you want to check that out, you may do that. Um, and then last but not least guys, did you know that Valley girl got remade? Of course you didn't. Nobody did. Um, but the the remake's already out on Blu-ray. So you can check out the remake of Valley Girl. Or you can watch the original one, which is pretty great. And that is Blu-rays. There's one more thing. What is it? It's not really for this week, but in general, uh, the there's a, a new cut of The Godfather coming straight to Blu-ray. Is it 500 hours long? Sorry, I meant The Godfather Part 3. It's, uh, oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, for Coppola's definitive vision of the death of Michael Corleone. Does he call it the death of Michael Corleone? Uh, sort of. It's The Godfather Coda, colon, the death of Michael Corleone. Okay, that's so. fine. I'll accept that. I, I don't... I have the restorations that they put out not too long ago. Um, which I think you have too, Brad? Question mark. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah uh, I'm curious. I mean, I, I don't really like that movie to begin with that much, so I don't know what's going to impress me any further. But yeah, I, don't, I don't know what else you would do with it to make it better. <laughs> like, I I feel like it's unfortunately make it longer <laughs> because yeah, there's definitely got the longest title ever. Officially, it's Mario Puzo's The Godfather Coda. Colin, the death of Michael Corleone. I think Francis Ford Coppola just wanted to suck it to Disney's Marvel's The Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> for a record. Um, but yeah, that's... Um, oh, and also we're getting some 4Ks from Screen Factory coming on our way soon. Uh, one of them's They Live and the other one is Army of Darkness, as we found out, Mr. Ryan. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... Uh, that's pretty damn cool. I... I uh, 
I was actually going to ask you, did the, is that Steelbook of Evil Dead 1 and 2 completely sold out now at this point? Uh, I didn't see it when I was there this week, so maybe. All right, because I couldn't find it either when I went to pick up my Halloween 4K, which is like the fifth copy of that movie that I own now. Um, uh, I'm, on my, I'm on my way to you know, becoming a new Ryan where it's just like any time there's one piece of you know, Halloween merch, I'm there. Um, well, it was funny because when I was at Best Buy, I was texting Brad – and I was like, I'm not going to get this. I literally just got it. And he's like, you're a sucker. You're a fucking idiot if you don't get it. It's going to sell out. I was like, no. And then I just got it. Yeah. And that's when you texted me and you're just like, I caved. But did you know that the Halloween one came out too? And I'm like, $20? I'm fine. <laughs> no, the Halloween one is really nice too. That's super nice. I don't necessarily love the the um the clear slip cover thing only because it was kind of a bitch to get out of the sleeve at first but it's fine oh, now fuck wine some more I, you know what I, wah, wah. anyway yeah people are dying of covid and you're like uh dvd sleeve too tough i know I, it's what happens when i lost all my gains bro i can't pull the sleeves off of blu-rays anymore <laughs> definitely might get a plastic cut yeah i'll well i'll tell you what though brad you know you're worried about um pre-ordering them and getting them shipped to you and then getting damaged mm-hmm. i think the one the halloween one i got was uh bent out of shape i had to ref i had to fix it because it was like it came on the shelf like looked like it was like slid off to one side so i had to like reposition it was so, it the last one it was the last one yeah uh, okay yeah so but Anyway, it's it works fine now, but like it was like kind of like out of alignment, um, which I've had happen before on steelbooks that I picked up. So, anyway, yeah, that's it for Blu-rays. We watch movies throughout the week. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Brad, what'd you watch this week? Well, I rewatched the Blacklist, so Fuck. let's go over that again. Are I'm you fucking kidding. with me? I tell me more. You. Tell me more. Did Red get in a fight? Uh, yeah, I watched a bunch of stuff. Um, so I'll start with the TV. So the I'm watching the boys week by week, and apparently last week's episode was the penultimate one for this season, and I'm disturbed because I feel like there's so much more to do in the storyline uh, that they're not going to, I don't, I don't see how they're going to be able to do it in the, in the next episode. Um, but the, the one I just watched a ton of people's heads exploded um, on national television and it's really disturbing. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm actually awaiting the, re- the resolution to this meandering storyline uh, in a single episode. Uh yeah, if you're not watching The Boys, you should check it out because it's amazing. Uh, I watched a bunch of stuff on streaming, uh, starting with. Does anyone remember Stay Tuned? With oh, John no, Ritter but... and Pam Dauber. I've never seen this, but I've okay, wanted... yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah. I've I've heard a bad movie podcast discuss it, and it sounds insane. Yeah, yeah, it it's definitely insane. Uh, okay. John Ritter is a layabout. Uh, and Pam Dauber's wife, and she's tired of him being just watching TV all the time. And then Jeffrey Jones shows up one night to offer him a new cable package, and they get sucked into the television. And basically, he turns out to be the devil, and he, he is putting people through ex- like 
shows and they have to survive existing in these shows. And if they don't, they get killed and he keeps their soul. And if they survive the shows, they get to escape. And yeah, it is not as entertaining as that premise probably should be. Um, yeah, it's just kind of blah. Okay. All right. Uh, where is it streaming again? Uh, I think I saw it on Prime. Okay. Put it on my list. I saw Wishmaster was on there, and I'm going to finally watch, Wish- watch Wishmaster. So. Yeah, I remember seeing the like TV ad as a kid and thinking, oh, that looks like fun. And no, this is just bafflingly. Uh, I, I, I will give it this, though. Some of the special effects were pretty impressive because when people get sucked into the TV through the satellite and then... And it doesn't compos- look too cheesy. Yeah, and then they get composited into, into the shows. Like, mm-hmm. is it, for 1992, yeah, wasn't that bad. But nice. overall, it's, it's you know, they, they go to, like, the first three shows and survive them, and none of it's, like, funny or tongue-in-cheek. It's just, like, they're in danger, and they just haphazardly, uh, uh, not haphazardly, but they just happen to get out of it. And then they one up the devil on the last one and you think they would go through like 20 i kind of you'd you'd be expecting like a uhf level comedy about getting sucked into the television right and yeah that seems like the logical place to go yeah but this doesn't have word al so it's not clever or funny yeah fuck it uh i rewatched pacific heights which is a movie with michael keaton melanie griffith and matthew modine uh, Matthew Modine and Melanie Griffith are they buy up a Vic, old Victorian in San Francisco and renovate it and rent out the rooms and along comes Michael Keaton who's a total fucking asshole and uh, barricades himself inside one of the apartments uh, pretends that he's actually rented it and destroys it and then tries to swindle the couple into losing the entire property. And uh, I watched it because I remember as a kid, my mom was watching it. And the part I saw was uh, Michael Keaton falling back on um, a uh, rebar sticking out of the floor and failing him in the chest. <laughs> uh, and now I know what uh, was behind all that. <laughs> and it's even funnier now because uh, he falls back in like super slow motion like in my memory, it was just he trips and he falls backwards and like, oh, what a weird mishap. But in here, it's like drawn out and it's got like the camera attached to Michael Keaton as it falls. And it, uh, Matthew Modine actually grabbed his ankle and held him to the ground because uh, he's reaching up through the floor that's got a hole in it. And Melanie Griffith pushed him. And yeah, it's. Yeah. It, it's it's supposed to feel like a a Hitchcock style thriller because it, it's even got like Tippy Hedren in it as this, <laughs> as this rich widow that um, Michael Keaton's character is also like swindling. Okay. Um, and so, like with Melanie Griffith and then Tippy Hedren, I feel like the director was going for like, oh, I'm doing my own like Hitchcock thing, um, but it's like it's not like a great mystery. Um, it's pretty obvious that Michael Keaton's pro- like from a wealthy family and he's just trying to use all his connections to increase his wealth, I guess. So what you're saying, Brad, is, is that nobody can do it except for me. 
Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I just think that no one's trying, like, people are just being derivative of you. Yeah, okay. That's what yeah. I fucking thought. I'm still the master, even up here. Thank you. Like, I wouldn't say they're trying to be better than you. I think they're just trying to emulate you. Okay. Like, well, ride your I, coattails. Oh, like that Brian De Palma child. Yeah, I, I know him. Yeah, yeah funny guy. <laughs> so I give that two stars. Uh, I rewatched uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein with Kenneth Branagh and Robert De Niro. It's so that movie's not as bad as I remember it, is it? It's It's like... The parts where Kenneth Branagh gets to be Shakespearean are really great, but right. the part where it gets to be horror gets really cheesy. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of it's pretty bland, but then it'll ha- like he'll have some like really creative, uh, like shot composition or camera move. Like that puts a lot of like the best parts of the movie are when he's reanimating Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's a lot of energy in those things, um, and then everything else is just kind of like I don't know. It the, the thing that I took away from it when I finally did watch it was that I just I didn't think it was the dumpster fire that everybody said it was. It just wasn't like something that I'd go like, oh, that was the greatest adaptation of Frankenstein I've ever seen. Um, and I don't think De Niro's terrible in it, but no, uh, but my the big question kind of blew me away, or not blew me, but like it, 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 it the ending felt weird, or like the the last third of it, but. Yeah, I haven't read the book, so I can't compare like what translated perfectly or not. But my big question is, so uh, Frankenstein reanimates a frog, right? In like a Petri dish <laughs> to test his, his work. And that frog isn't made up of different frogs sewn together, yet it's still reanimated and kicked the glass open. Yet he sewed together a bunch of other people to make his monster like why couldn't he just reanimate a whole human body oh i want to say it doesn't matter because i don't believe it's even explained in the book but i don't know science (laughs) i don't know i don't have the answer right Uh, you know a lot about this stuff uh i i haven't seen the movie and so i don't I can't make an educated guess. Well, it could be Frankenstein in general because he also has to do that to make up. Um... Oh wait, no, because in because uh, in Bride of Frankenstein they just ki- they just kill that one girl and then they put the the artificial brain that Doctor Pretorius makes. So no, in in this version, I don't know. I don't know why he'd have to sew up a bunch of different. Body yeah, I don't. Like, I'd I... have to rewatch it. Sorry. Yeah, like I get his motivation is like okay, well, you know, I want to get the legs of someone who's like a really strong runner and like the brain of a genius, but his goal in the movie is just to keep people from dying. Like that, like his mom died and he's bummed out about it. So he dedicates his life to like cheating death. Um, So, but like that's the motivation of piecing all these other people together. doesn't seem like, like if he can reanimate the frog, why is you have to do that all? So later on when, um, you know, his half sister that he marries uh, gets set on fire uh, and her heart ripped out by uh, his monster. Mm-hmm. Like he, he has to put like, like the, uh, like the servant girl's body with his half sister's head to put it back together. It's just like, I feel like you just at least just get the heart part and she won't feel as ugly. 
I have I have a way we could possibly solve this problem, Ryan. If do you know? Do you remember exactly why Herbert West had to do it? Because that could actually actually help answer this question. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, then we're screwed. <laughs> I can't remember Reanimator right it now. It makes sense if his goal is to like, okay, I'm going to make the perfect human being, so he's going to be super smart, super strong, right? Right. But no, the movies. His his motivation is like I hate that people die and I don't want that to happen anymore because there's also like a, a cholera epidemic going on in the background that everyone's mm. trying to escape. So the, yeah, there's the like the other motivation would be like oh I can't get a complete human because like all these bodies are decomposing so I have to like piece by piece. But uh, all the people he gets are pretty fresh because they all like Robert De Niro's in it because he gets hanged early in the movie. Uh, before he comes to, becomes the monster and John Cleese is yeah. the guy who inspires him and he steals all his work from and his brain's fresh. Like he could just use the entire professor's body and brain. Like I don't know why he's used pieces of everybody. So yeah. Calling you out, Mary Shelley. If that's Yeah. That's really what you wrote. Man, I had to think about that too. I haven't read that book in a while. Maybe we should do it as a real nerd film book club. <laughs> well, I can tell you, reading a book that was written in 1799, it takes a little bit of patience. <laughs> but it'd be fun. Also, I, if you if you are calling out Mary Shelley, I have a few questions for Lord Byron as well. <laughs> uh, the next movie that I really did not like at all uh, is Saint Elmo's Fire. Is this the first time you'd seen St. Almost Fire? The first time I've seen it. Has anyone else seen it? Yeah, yeah it's not and there's a good. reason I'd never gone back. <laughs> yeah, it seems like... So I'm watching the movie, and I'm watching these characters exist, and it's really just a a movie about uh, like six, seven uh, college like teenagers who went to college, and then we're catching up with them you know, four or five years af- after they've graduated from high school. Um I don't know why I said college. No, they didn't go to college. Um, I meant after they left high school. So there are only like mid twenties people struggling with life in the eighties. Um, like every one of them is a mess, but, um, Oh, she wasn't going to say, uh, yeah. They, so the, all the characters I'm listening to them and they all seem like they have the same voice and outlook on life as like they all seem like they're the same character with different that have been split off into seven different people. Mm-hmm. And then I read the credits and it's directed by Joel Schumacher and written by Joel Schumacher. Co-written, but yeah. Co-written. Uh, but, yeah, the best part about that movie is the theme song. Yeah. Yeah. Animation, yeah. yeah which they've used twice, which I, I did appreciate. It's a film that's, it's it's a film that because it's not by John Hughes, but is trying to be John Hughes, it loses a bunch in the process. And that's not to say Joel Schumacher's not good at what he does, but this is just one where I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not tuning in for it. Like the way other might, others might be. Yeah. That was my other surprise is I double checked. So St. Elmo's fire came out before the breakfast breakfast club, but in the same year. So, hmm. and it has most of the same cast. So I think it's really just coincidence that they're so alike. Because obviously they're two different ideas by two different writers, but yeah, I was just like it. It just felt like watching it. I just felt like I was listening to 
Joel Schumacher talk about his outlook on life through six or seven different people. Mm. And all those characters are just awful. I'm looking at the poster right now, and I, I never realized this was the poster. The tagline is, the heat this summer is at St. Almost Fire. And then it just says at the bottom, St. Almost Fire. I don't like it when posters say the title twice, unless it's at the bottom. Near the well, if, you little... the, if you watch the movie, the bar itself has the sign on it twice. Like the awning has St. Almost Fire written on it. Yeah. And then they have a big neon sign above it. Right. It's, I'm, more, I'm more arguing this for the poster itself. I mean, I get that, that the bar has it you know in a bunch of different places but well the poster might have been like oh i'm just going to emulate what the bar looks like in the movie <laughs> i'm just not going to do any work <laughs> but yeah and then uh so yeah judd nelson is like he his thing is he was um like into helping the democrats win elections and then he decides i'm going to re- be a republican because they pay better and i can move up faster in life and then uh Demi Moore has a drug problem with her her character uh Andrew McCarthy is just that classic struggling writer uh who is just looking for his muse um like to get inspired and then uh the worst part is um Emilio Estevez is a fucking creep he stalks <laughs> he stalks Annie McDowell through the whole movie and then like the effort he goes to, like he's such an incel when she rejects him over and over and over again about it. Uh, he stalks her to a cabin where she's like spending the weekend with this other guy and then like has to like stay overnight with them and brood the whole time. And then he gets to like have a picture with her at the end before he leaves. And he's like, you know what? <laughs> I, this was a successful thing. Like I didn't get the girl, but like I got a picture with her. So all is good. Um, I was a scary creep the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, like he he gets a job. He gets hired by some rich guy to be his like, uh, like number one assistant. Um, like when he when he starts to think that she's only into guys who have money, so he steals that guy's car, um, and then hosts like a huge party, um, that she doesn't go to, and then he storms out of the party and like tracks her down in the mountains to like complain that you know i did all this for you yeah just awful and then rob Lowe, like there's this other girl in the group that is the virgin and she's been in love with rob Lowe, who's a, just a total like jock like screw up the whole time and then he's like i'm gonna go away and get my life together do you think you can give me your virginity before you go and she's like okay like yeah like didn't earn yeah. it. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I can't feel Saint Elmo's fire burning in me. Treated Especially... like shit the whole time. Yeah, and then he's like, "Yeah, fuck me before I go, please." Yeah. Yeah. No. I thought that movie would be a lot cooler, and it is not. <laughs> Put that on the poster instead of this stupid tagline. <laughs> like, like I, I think the Breakfast Club is Breakfast Club is okay. Like it's. It's not it's my favorite thing. This <laughs> but this movie is just like, I would, there's no reason to watch this ever again. Mm. Um, that was a long, like, yeah, I just, I, as I was watching this, I hate this so much. I just want to finish it so that I can say I just, I watched all of it and it's over. Uh, and the last three things I watched were in the theater, or what, last three things. Uh, I watched Kajillionaire, 
which is oh. just a fun, silly indie romp um, about a girl who has weird parents and she, uh, like another person comes along and exposes that her life is weird and that her parents are basically don't care about her and be, been using her. And that's about it. And it's just kind of weird and quirky the rest of it. It's not. Was Richard Jenkins in it? Doing great work as Good. usual. Yeah, I don't. It's pretty, uh, pretty standard. Just, just her. him being, just him being amazing. Gotcha. Yeah, just being what I've seen. Like it, the, it's the material really that he has to work with. It. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and then the last thing I watched was uh, Brandon Cronenberg's directorial effort, Possessor. Hmm. Uh, which was super weird, but I enjoyed it because it is so like art, arty, I guess. Visually, it's kind of like creatively out there. Um, so it, Andrea Riceborough, uh, she it's kind of like Ghost in the Shell. She is this, I guess, assassin. She works for this company and you get plugged into this device that on the other end has a receptor plugged into someone else's head and you can, you can inhabit their body wirelessly and control like their life uh, by jacking in. And then um, this company mostly uses it to assassinate people. Um, So eventually she gets stuck in it and can't get out. And part of, being jacked in means like after you do get out you're still kind of stuck with some of the hosts like memories and personality and as time goes on it just kind of wears out but uh she gets so stuck in to this one mission that uh the company has to like work extra hard to get her out of it and all this chaos ensues and um she kind of becomes like a worse person because of it um yeah, is it is more of a sci-fi or is it more horror? Uh, I'd say it's more of a sci-fi as an idea, but it's really graphic. Uh, like kids head, like kids get shot in the face. No, I don't want to see that. Um, yeah, lots of blood. Like uh, Sean Bean is in it. Like he gets his head smashed in and his teeth like ripped out. So uh, he he kind of does a lot of the body horror stuff like his father did. Then. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. I don't think I've watched any. Like the only Cronenberg I've seen is him getting killed in Jason X. <laughs> oh, Brad, uh, you might like Scanners. Scanners is fun. Yeah, I've seen that Scanners clip. Um, okay. But that, that's about it. Um, and there's like really graphic sex scenes too. Oh, The Fly. Brad would like The Fly. Oh, yeah, I've seen, I've seen a okay. Jeff Goldberg. Oh, yeah, then you, fly. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what I meant was like, does it get like bizarre, like in that, in that way? Uh, no, it's it's not like creature horror. It's really just like graphic, like a lot of stabbings, uh, a lot of gunshots. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's kind of cool in an art way, but um, it's, it's a little hard to follow. Like you really have to turn your brain on for it. That's what I watched. Zach. Next week on real nerds. I didn't know this was the Brad show. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Talk on. about on the rocks. <laughs> oh yeah, I also I also watched Society, but 
Oh, oh, wait, you can't just skip society, Brad. Have you seen it before? I think think I can. No, I haven't seen it before. Okay. I kind of tuned most of it out because the acting was so bad. (laughs) But no, Ryan, he's wrong, right? Because the the, the last third is worth watching alone. (laughs) No, the acting is bad, but the the practical effects are really great. Yeah, that's the thing. That's why you watch the movie. That's why I stuck my neck out for an 89 film explosion. <laughs> like, yeah, the, the makeup effects are pretty creative, but also like it's almost in 4K at this point. <laughs> so like, <Yeah. laughs> all the all the makeup lines show up pretty, pretty clearly. So, yeah, I like that movie. <clears throat> I, I appreciate it was trying to go for like this class classes uh, like deconstruction, but the acting is just so bad that in like the, the pacing is so weird that it's, it was hard for me to pay attention. I have the, the arrow special edition and it's a really nice Blu-ray set. And I'm jealous of you. Cause you've got the limp. You've got the real, the one that you can't get anymore. Right. Yep. Yep. Damn you. Arrow is starting. They're on streaming service. So maybe you can watch it there. Well, you know, but the version that Ryan has, has like a comic book of, uh, in it too. Um, I believe so. All right, Zach, talk about your movies. Sweet. All right, cool. Um, well, uh, it's Halloween season, so I decided to do at least one horror movie a night. Uh, so I started off my first night of it on October first with a double double bill of Dracula and Frankenstein, which is the same double bill that also brought back the monsters in 1939 that led to Son of Frankenstein being made and released. Oh, I thought you were going to say Twombly and the Boy Stairs. No, no, no. That that double bill. Wait, did you say 1939? 19, so so the double bill the double bill of Dracula and Frankenstein. Oh, the double bill. I was like, um, Zach, I yeah. think your years on your movies are wrong. No, no, no. So, no, they both came out in 1931, but this double bill that independent theaters ran, um, it was actually originally a triple bill of Dracula, Frankenstein, and Son of, Son of Kong, because they could rent those prints out, um, was so successful at this one theater that they that Universal released a double bill of Dracula and Frankenstein in 1938 into 39, And it was so successful that Universal, who was fledgling at the time, said, well, shit let's make some more monster movies. And that's how son of Frankenstein gets uh, launched out of the ground. And that's, it's also one of those things that catapults into where you get with the Wolfman and then the monster bashes of the uh, mid forties before you go into Abbott and Costello territory. Anyway, though, rewatching those films, um, Dracula, I still love. Um, I actually appreciated the visual scheme more. I still, I, I will fully admit that it turns into a drawing room drama halfway through. Um, and it's very stilted. The camera doesn't move a ton, but there's certain things that Todd Browning did as a director that I appreciate in terms of creating a creepy atmosphere. It's uh, the, the same impact I, I feel is kind of there with Toby Hooper in the beginnings of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where you're setting up this environment of things are off, things are wrong, and both have armadillos in them inexplicably. Um, in the case of Dracula, it's them crawling through the castles and such and the catacombs. Um, but, and Bella Lugosi's, you know, it's, it's, it's an all-timer performance. Um, and then Frankenstein still works. It's my least favorite James Whale movie. And that's not saying much because I, um, in terms of the horror films James Whale made, 
each one of them is a masterpiece in its own way because he does the old dark house invisible man and bride but that but frankenstein seems to me my least favorite one and i think it's probably because it's the least humorous um but it's still an amazing movie i forgot how much the camera moves when maria's father um uh is bringing maria's body to the burgomaster and the the way it's blocked is such that like as he's moving forward the party around them during the frankenstein wedding is just ground to a halt it's really cool watching it like piece by piece it's like it's really cool how he brings the mood down significantly in that particular section um and just watching karloff emerge for the first time and just that quick shot of his face like I can put myself in the position of a person in 1931 going like, that's the fucking scariest thing I've ever seen. Um, Cause I'd get it. Um, and then um, I rewatched the black cat um, from 1934 with uh, Karloff and Lugosi, or should I say Lugosi and Karloff? That's the way you actually build them. If uh, Ed Wood taught me anything correctly. Um, and uh, Ryan, you've watched the black cat, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's pretty astounding how um, – this is like the fourth time I've seen it. And it's still astounding to me how all the themes of that movie got past a censor. It's, it's remarkable. There's incest in that movie. There's satanic worship in that movie. Um, it's, it's, it's bonkers. And it's, for a 61-minute movie, it crams a lot of stuff in and does it without missing like, – without over, like, making you feel overwhelmed. Um, and I think it's, it's one of my favorite Karloff performances because he's allowed to, he's kind of acting nonchalant through a big majority of it. Cause he has no reason to suspect he'll fail. Like he has no real actual stress about him. Um, and, um, and it's my favorite Lugosi performance apart from maybe Igor because of the fact that he's basically a good guy in it. And you don't get to see Lugosi play a good guy that often. And, He's a cool, good guy. I, I like it. Um, and he gets to skin Boris Karloff alive. <laughs> like it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful film. Um, <clears throat> and then I rewatched The Bride of Frankenstein on the third night. Um, that movie still rocks. Um, I'm an Uno, Uno O'Connor fan. And so I love every moment that she says anything in that movie. Um, and Ernest Thesiger as Dr. Pretorius is an all-time great little villain there that you kind of create in order to continue the story of Frankenstein while not having to draw too much off of Shelley's work beyond the fact of we're making a bride. Um, and then uh, I switched up my gears um, and did the evil dead trilogy last night, all three films in one sitting. Um, they, it, they all still rock. All of them are still pretty flawless films in terms of what they're going for. They are flawless films. Not pretty much Zach. Not pretty much. The only reason I say pretty much is because I don't think they should offer an enhanced version of evil dead when the director's version of one, three, three is perfectly fine. Um, uh, but no, I hadn't seen, I hadn't rewatched uh, evil dead two in a while. And uh, I, Brian, if I think if anything, if we were characters in the evil dead universe, I think you'd be Ash. I think I'd just be the laughing lamp. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I think that's my spirit animal in the Evil Dead universe. I can't, I can't be Henrietta because I'm not that terrifying. I'm just the laughing lamp. <laughs> um, right. 
But because um, I because who else could I connect to? Like if we were playing a, a Dungeons and Dragons version of Evil Dead, that's who I'd be, the laughing lamp. Um, but uh, and I loved rewatching Army of Darkness to end the evening last night because I, it's I I know it's not the version that it's the version they had to film for the theatrical where he's fighting the Deadite in uh, S Mart. But I still love the line, "Lady, I'm going to have to ask you to leave the store." <laughs> It's the greatest movie that's ever been made. It's wonderful. It's <laughs> I was I was giggling my ass off at the line. Um, I did my part. Now I want back, like in the deal. <laughs> this delivery is so brilliant. Is Bruce Campbell is one of the finest physical actors that's ever lived? Oh yeah, hands down. Just the scene in the kitchen in Evil Dead Two alone proves that. Um, and I really, really liked rewatching the first Evil Dead a lot because of the fact that it is very much just a straight up horror movie. Like that's what it's doing. Um, and it's, it seems like the violence gets less and less gross with each, with each, um, with each film. Like, cause you were able to show Army of Darkness to Kellen, right, Ryan? Yeah, he loved it. Yeah, but it doesn't have like a ton of blood in it. Like, yeah, it, you know, I don't, I, for me, uh, the blood is whatever. It's how frightening is it for him? Mm-hmm. And that movie, I mean, I guess there's a couple parts that are a little scary, but... But, but not evil, the, but not the Evil Dead level. Yeah, scary. I would never show him Evil Dead or Evil Dead 2 or the Evil Dead. Right. No, it's like that. those are films he comes to later on in his life. Yeah, Army of Darkness is okay. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's a, it's a freaking... It's, Har- it's a Ray Harryhausen movie. That's what it is. <laughs> like... Um, but um, so yeah, no, those were a lot of fun. Um, I uh, I think I I still haven't watched season three of Ash versus Evil Dead, so I need to sit down and do that. Should. Maybe this month will be the best time to do it. Um, and then I rewatched Supernatural with Carol Lombard um, with the Attaboy Clarence Secret History of Hollywood Film Club, um, which was a blast. It was cool. We got to all watch the film and chat about it and comment on it. Um, it's it, it's basically my review from the last time I watched it still stands. Like it's a it's a solid little like cheesy thriller from its era. Um, it's, I like Carol Lombard in it a lot because she's not doing slapstick she, or, or screwball. I'm sorry. She's doing something a little bit more sinister, a little bit more uh, edgy. Um, and, and also like it, there's so many tin cups that get crushed in that movie because that's one of the indicators that the person who then ends up possessing carol lombard is super strong with her grip because she strangled several men and that's why she's being sent to the chair um but just seeing all those cups getting crushed it was just it was disheartening i was like those poor tin cups (laughs) um and then the last thing that i watched before any of this was i watched the challenger documentary challenger the final flight on netflix um it's it is it's very good so the uh, Ryan pretty much covered it on like, I think it was two weeks ago, roughly. Um, But uh, starting off the episode, the way they did, I was super uh, like taken into depression town almost immediately because like it's, it's you, it got me crying and I don't think I stopped crying until the thing was over. Like all the episodes were over. Um, What I found interesting about it was like the most interesting thing of it to me apart from the stories of the actual astronauts um, is the fact that talking about like where everything went wrong and why NASA was pushing in the direction that they were 
Um, and also like the, the scene where it's the moment where they're talking about, they're in that conference, they're in that conference with NASA, basically telling them we don't want to approve because we don't have any guarantee that these O-rings will sustain and, uh, and then having to go in and basically reverse their own decision, like in order to appease NASA, like it just, it was so interesting and very honest, like in a way that I didn't think it was going to be, um, and so, yeah, I, I, if you've not seen it, it's really, really good, really, really heartbreaking. Um, I don't, uh, I didn't know much about the, the, the actual uh, tragedy itself beyond the fact that uh, a school teacher was part of the crew, but learning about the actual crew, the people who trained for it and like their stories. And like, there were several people in there who were like, the first of many people to do certain things with NASA and in space period. Mm-hmm. And that was just like, it was heartbreaking to like watch people who had accomplished a lot. And then this is the, 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 the their ultimate fate is just devastating. Um, and also the commission, the commission stuff in the last episode where they're sussing out what happened. Like it turns into a weird spy movie for about five minutes. <laughs> in terms of like people passing on information that they're not supposed to. Um, so yeah, it, if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix, check it out. It's pretty fucking fantastic. Um, and that's all I watched this week. Uh, cool. Um, yeah, I think we all kind of watched a lot this week. I don't know what was in the air. Um, I couldn't sleep a few, uh, a few nights ago. So I rewatched not another teen movie. Um, it's totally ridiculous and there's a lot of like stupid jokes in it that are gross, but it's also a movie I absolutely adore <laughs> because it's so stupid. It's a great um, Chris Evans performance. Yeah. It's one of his earliest ones. And it's, I think next year it's 20 years old, which kind of blows my mind. Um, You're and old. I think, yeah, I think Chris Evans was only 19 or 18 when he made the movie. Nice. Um, but yeah, there's, <laughs> there's this really gross running gag about um, incest throughout the film uh, where Chris Evans, sister wants to hook up with him and he's like uh, talking to her. He's like, gross. We're related. And his sister says only by blood. <laughs> it's just <laughs> so ridiculous and so gross. And then when uh, his girlfriend breaks up with him and his dad comes into his room, he says, Hey son, I have the perfect rebound girl. <laughs> And Chris Evans is like, Dad, that's mom. <laughs> it's so weird. Um, but yeah, it's fun. Is that uh, the best it, of the movie movies that came out around that era? I, I, it was the first one, and I think it's the only one that's actually somewhat funny. I mean, I, I think it's pretty funny, but um, I can see why other people are, you know, whatever. With I, it. I like it, and I also like the first scary movie and maybe scary movie too, but other than that, none of the other movie movies like ever did it for me. Yeah. Um, so for Blue Buried, which uh, the review should be coming soon, I did... Uh, I watched Buffy Season 8, the motion comic. Um, it's the first 19 issues from Season 8, which was the relaunch of basically the Buffy universe with Joss Whedon. And friend of the podcast, George's Genty. Um, so it's a motion comic. So they take uh, George's art and they animate it slightly. They add actors doing the voiceover. And it looks, it's pretty good. Um, I don't know. It's, they kind of recolor some of the pages and they make it a little brighter. Um, I don't know if people watching it 
are as familiar with the art as I am. So that was maybe the only thing that I thought was just okay. Um, but it's, I mean, it's kind of a cool thing that exists that I, you know, I don't know how many motion comic Blu-rays there actually are, but that it's the first 19 issues and each issue is about 12 minutes long. So it's a pretty hefty DVD or Blu-ray. Um, it's the, fun. The uh, only I, comic I remember was the Watchmen one for the movie with uh, the Black Freighter, I think it was. Yeah, so it's kind of the same thing. Um, and that, D, that Blu-ray, sorry, I can't think DVD, that, the Blu-ray isn't in uh, production anymore, so it's kind of hard to find now. Mm. So uh, I should, I'll hopefully post that soon. Again, I'm working on so many articles right now. I, I, if you've visited our website, realnerdspodcast.com, you've been seeing I've been slowly trickling them out. Um, so make sure you visit our website. Uh, I watched this uh, film on Netflix called American Murderer, which is the murder of Shanann um, Watts that was in Colorado. Um, you know, the husband killed her and her two daughters. Um, and it's a really interesting documentary. Uh, they that's use... the guy who stuffed them in the oil drum or whatever? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's... um they use raw footage. So there's no narration. Um, they used the victim. She posts a lot of videos on Facebook. So she's basically narrating the film and how it all unravels. And it's, it's really heartbreaking and sad when you see uh, these poor women that were, well, this one woman and these two little girls that were, needlessly killed and it's fascinating watching uh his name's chris him kind of unravel under his own story and how nobody really bought it there's a really interesting part at the beginning uh where a police officer shows up because the lady that she left with was worried about her because she never answered her phone. So she wanted to do what we call in the business, a welfare check. And so he, the, the police officer is waiting there because we we're not allowed to enter homes. If you're protected by your fourth amendment, right? So he's waiting there. And then uh, this asshole murderer shows up and lets him in and he's looking around and even through body cam, cause I've seen so many of them in my life. You can tell that he, the, the cop, doesn't really believe the story he's been tell being told you know what i mean and so he goes next door because the neighbor has cameras and the the police officer's talking to him and then the murderer is there with him and as he's leaving the cop stays behind to chat talk to the neighbor and he's saying how different he's acting and he's not acting like his normal self and uh it, it's really a heartbreaking documentary um if you, you want to be depressed, you know, you can check it out. So, um, it's, so it's told just via the raw footage, kind of like LA 92. and uh, Exactly. Um, yeah. There's no, yep. They use like ring cameras. They use uh, police body worn cameras. They use the interrogation um, cameras that are in the police department. They use Facebook um, text messages between uh, Shanann and uh a piece of shit it's and, kind of it's kind of like um not exactly the way 
the uh, Paradise Lost did it, but like they're unfolding it like in real time. Like, well, it's weird. Uh, I guess not weird is not the right word. Uh, it starts with um, her missing, and then it goes back and gives context to what happened to her and how unnecessary it is. Because at the end of the day, it's uh, I don't know how well you guys know the story. It's not this is well known they killed his um, family to like be with his mistress right exactly yeah and uh so they basically unravel how that happened and you actually feel bad for this lady that he was seeing because she was brought in to be questioned as well and she's telling him she said she he told me that he was gonna he was leaving her and i had i, I she said i thought he already left her and it's basically at the end of the day this dude's a piece of shit he lies to everybody and because he didn't get uh he didn't want his wife and his two well his wife was pregnant with her third kid um he didn't want them ruining his new relationship with this girl so he killed all of them and you know the saddest part in the whole documentary is that piece of shit is come uh confessing and he's telling a how he did uh, how he murdered his whole family and uh, one of so he he buried his wife like not like just maybe 50 yards from the oil um, drums and when uh, he killed his first daughter um, he said the only thing she said was daddy no you're like really dude what a fucking piece of shit so it's it's heartbreaking um man i just i just got back to depression town i already left that after the challenger doc Jeez. i know right it's it's tough it, it's a tough watch um killing your own kids just to like bang another chick <laughs> i know right and these poor little girls they're like four and three years old and how could you even go through with it when she says daddy no to you you know what i mean yeah you're just awful. the most you're the most cold-hearted person ever. And, like, and for, his mistress isn't even asking, like, oh, I can't be with you if you don't, like... Exactly. People exist. She, she's, she says to the police, she said, I thought he already left her. <laughs> it's, it, it's bullshit. Um, and I, it breaks your heart uh, when you watch this documentary because... I mean, those little girls depresses me so whenever i rewatch it so I'm, i don't know if i'll be going to this anytime soon but no i mean you have to be in the right frame of mind um so i it's it's heartbreaking and those poor little girls and his poor wife it's just it's unnecessary at the end of you know he could have just been a man and divorced him and yeah. had the same life you know what i mean um yeah, yeah it's uh, did he, he obviously he got convicted, but like he has no chance of parole, right? No. So uh, like the, uh, the California rapist murderer guy that um, Patton Oswalt's widower helped um, find um, our widow. Um, no, Patton Oswalt's wife who passed away. I can't talk right now. His late wife. His late wife. Thank you. Um, same thing. So, Colorado, we still have the death penalty. So he confessed to killing all three of them so he wouldn't get the death penalty. So he's can so his sentence is three life sentences. 
without possibility of parole. Yeah, and then I'm sure he was moved to a different prison because, you know, there is this code, too, among criminals. He probably wouldn't have made it very long if people know who he is. Because, um, yeah, you're just a piece of shit. Um, I, I got uh, Scream Factory's Ghost Ship, which is uh, one of the last Dark Castle films, if I remember correctly. Yes, and uh, thank you for switching it to something a little bit more lighthearted. <laughs> yeah, but don't worry, my last two are a lot better. Okay. Um, Ghost Ship, yes. Yeah, Ghost Ship is... It's all right. Like, you know, watching it again, the opening is really great where everybody's murdered and cut in half by this wire on the ship. Um, and the supernatural element's cool. But after that, it takes a long time for it to get going again. Um, it's about a group of ship salvagers who f- find this ghost ship where all these people were murdered and the ghosts are still there. And there's a little more going on with it. I mean, it takes a little bit. So there's that bloody stuff at the beginning. Then it's about another hour before people start getting killed again. So there's a lot of build up to it. I mean, the set design's really cool. Um, it suffers a lot from what I call the dark castle isms, where it's you know heavy metal music and quick cuts and not not um, just heavy metal, new metal too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> I mean, I haven't checked out the music video that's included on the special features yet, but I probably won't. Um, I won't. Let, the, let the bodies hit the floor in it? No, sorry. That's uh, the one only. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a song that should have been in Jason X. I'm just going to... I think it was used in the marketing material. Um, yes, it was, but it wasn't in the movie itself. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, it's fun. The Scream Factory Blu-ray's incredible. It's... Uh, there's not a new transfer of the film and it still looks pretty good. But I mean, obviously the best part is it has about two hours of new interviews. And I always, the reason I love horror movie interviews is because it's people that have a passion for making films because there's not a lot of money in it and they're really creative people. So um, I I really enjoy watching uh, that stuff. And like I said, there's about two and a half hour, three hours of it. Um, So as always with Scream Factory Collector's Editions, you definitely get your money's worth of the Blu-ray. I still love the poster, the original theatrical poster, which it has it on the reverse, right? Yeah, and it has a tagline, Sea Evil. Yes, S-E-A. and, and it's, got that ship. <laughs> it's got that ship with the skull at the bottom of the... Like, yeah. like, oh, it's such a great poster for a movie in 2002. Like, God. Yeah. Oh, God. And uh, the last thing I watched is actually the thing I think I liked the most this week. It's called The Art of Love, and it stars Dick Van Dyke and James Garner. Uh, Carl Reiner makes an appearance towards the end and he's really funny in it Um, the film uh, Dick Van Dyke is a painter who can't sell any paintings Uh, so he's about so he he can't make money in Paris so he decides he's going to return home to his fiance in the United States his art dealer guy says you know if you were dead then I could make a lot of money off of you so him and James Garner, um, James Garner is a writer who kind of uh, just slums it with Dick Van Dyke and they get drunk and James Garner writes Dick Van Dyke a suicide note and they're on a bridge that's going across the Thames River and Dick Van Dyke sees this attractive young lady jump off the bridge and Dick Van Dyke being the hero that he is jumps off the bridge too. Well, he lands on a barge and the barge takes him to some countryside in uh, France. 
but while he's gone, everybody thinks he's dead and that the suicide note is there. And when his art dealer hears that, his painting starts selling for lots of money. So when he comes back to Paris, James Garner says, no, you need to stay dead so we can make all this money. And so he does. And then they become rich because everyone thinks he's dead. And uh, so he starts making uh, more paintings. He's trying not to fall in love with the girl he rescued because he's engaged. But his fiance, played by Angie Dickinson, comes to town and James Garner falls in love with her. So then there's this like uh, cat and mouse game of uh, James Garner's kind of being a little weasel in it, you know, because he loves Dick Van Dyke's fiance too. His fiance doesn't know that he's dead. <laughs> and uh, so she gives in to, uh, you know, James Garner's advances when he finds out that the girl that Dick Van Dyke saved is like his muse. It's really funny. It's really goofy. Um a rather a rather uh intricate farce if you will. yes and it's kind of fun because dick van dyke is it's from 1965 so it's right at the height of his dick van dyke show sitcom um and so he's really great in it um i mean it's not the greatest movie but it's really cool seeing dick van dyke and james garner in a film uh it looks really great it's uh shot very well if i remember right the director is actually a pretty great director um, it, it's just a fun movie to watch and the performances are great. Oh uh, yeah. It's uh Norman Jewison. Um, he did oh, yeah. Moonstruck, Rollerball, the hurricane, um, Fiddler on the roof. So why, why, why'd you have to bring up Rollerball? <laughs> I'm just saying he has a very eclectic, uh, filmography. He was um, he was originally attached to do the Malcolm X movie, but then um, after talking with Spike Lee, he handed over the project to him. So he's also a very um, very uh, very generous man. And he also good. produced the Robert Downey Jr. classic. Uh, I mean, directed. I'm sorry, only you with uh, Marissa Tomei. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, it's a fun movie. I, I tell everybody, you know. It, sometimes it's fun to watch a light movie and it's definitely a light movie. Um, and it's silly and it's cool. And, and Carl Reiner. <laughs> so towards the end, uh, I can't remember the character names, but James Gardner's character is uh, arrested for murdering uh, Dick Van Dyke because he's making all this money off of, you know, his paintings and uh, the police believe he murdered him. And then Dick Van Dyke plants uh, teeth from, this skeleton he had. And so he thinks he's dead. And, um, and then he lets him go to the guillotine and Dick Van Dyke dresses up as an old guy. So that's always fun. Um, Um, There's a movie, Ryan, that I still want to either you to watch or you and I watch together. It's called what a way to go. It has Dick Van Dyke in it, but it's a, it's a movie with Shirley MacLaine where she marries a series of men who keep dying on her. Um, No, don't trust the Rotten Tomatoes rating. It says 22%. All of them are lying. It's a fun <laughs> movie. And I remember it from watching it as a kid on um, either AMC or TCM, one of the two. But it's, it's it, Dick Van Dyke's character dies in one of the he, – he dies on a really good line, like a really good one-liner. Like, it, it's just you'll, – you'll like it. I think you'll have fun with it. <laughs> I liked Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I watched this week. Sweet. Um, 
before we get into the film of the week, I have to apologize. I worked until almost five in the morning on Saturday and I overslept my time to see the film. So I didn't see it this week. Um, you asshole. I know. Really and it's quick. the movie I wanted to see. If no. it makes you feel better, I woke up too late and I got charged for it. So, <laughs> If you want, um, you can watch it right now. and We'll just do uh, Corinne's Catching the Classics for like an hour and a half. Cool. Oh, yeah, I forgot she sent that in. Hey, here's Catching the Classics with Corinne. Hey, nerds. Corinne here for part 36 of Catching the Classics, where I watch famous and popular movies I've never seen before and send in my review. This week, I watched Sleepless in Seattle. Yes, despite me being a big fan of You've Got Mail, I've never seen You've uh, Sleepless in Seattle. And overall, I was not a fan. Uh, it was kind of boring. And the fact that the main couple, uh, the two people don't meet up until the very end of the movie, made it really hard to root for them. Uh, especially considering the fact that she was in a... a you know, relationship with a good guy. And it's like, this just kind of felt like emotional infidelity. The whole, like, she, you know, is sort of in love with a guy whose radio interview she heard. It's just, it was really creepy. And I think they kind of get away with it because it's a woman who ends up stalking a man. But if it were the other way around, it would definitely be really, really creepy. So, yeah, really creepy. <laughs> um, it was really trippy to see uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, though, uh, so young. This was, I think this was before You've Got Mail, so they're even younger in this movie than they were in You've Got Mail. And they're, like, 30 years younger than they are today, so... Very trippy. Oh my gosh, Tom Hanks, he was so young. <laughs> um, the supporting cast, there were a lot of uh, big names kind of uh, mingled in there. Rosie O'Donnell, although she hasn't done much lately, but you know everybody kind of knows who she is. Victor Garber is in there. There are a couple of other people I recognized, but... Oh, obviously Rob Reiner, but... Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, the supporting cast... It kind of reminded me of Harry and Sally in that way. But, yeah, ultimately, hard to root for this couple, considering they don't share any screen time until the very end. They don't really know each other. And she's already in a relationship, and uh, actually, so is he. I forget, his girlfriend is terrible. That's the thing with these rom-coms, you know, they, they always make the... You know, the main couple, you're like, yeah, we want them to get together. So when the main couple has these, like, false love interests, they have to make them the most, like, ridiculous people ever. Give them ridiculous allergies and medical conditions and the most absurd laugh and obnoxious personality of all time. So it's like, yeah, of course you want the main couple to get together because their significant others are... Terrible people, or they're not terrible people, but they're just terrible characters, really. So, I ended up fast forwarding through some parts because it's like, oh, it's just a three minute sequence of them sitting on benches thinking about each other while some song plays. 
it just felt really padded. Like, this was just, it was a lot of filler. The best scenes, I think, were when it leaned more in the drama area. Like, this could have been a really interesting movie about a father and son trying to get over the death of their wife slash mother and learning how to, learning to live again, as the Garth Brooks song uh, says. That could have been an interesting movie. And again, those were the best scenes when Tom Hanks and uh, his, his character and his son are interacting. And like that scene where the son has the nightmare and uh, the dad comes up and they have this very sweet conversation. And the other part where Tom Hanks has like a uh, imaginary conversation with like the image of his wife. So those were actually good. This could have been a really interesting drama about those two trying to figure out how to live again, but instead they made it into a rom-com, and it was really lame. Sorry, not a fan. Um, I guess I'd give it like two and a half, two and a half or three stars. I don't know. Now I'm thinking, would I rather watch this or Top Gun again? I guess this, because I think it was shorter. At least it felt shorter, but then again, I fast-forwarded through stuff. I guess I would say this, because at least I get to see Tom Hanks. I know Ryan's all like, oh, but Tom Cruise is so awesome. Um, yeah, he is, but I'd rather watch Tom Hanks. I'm sorry. I'm just one of those people. How do you pick Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks? Anyway, next time, don't know what I'm going to watch, but... I mean, these are pretty sporadic now, so I kind of just watch whatever at this point. So thanks for listening to this bit, and I'll talk to you all soon. Bye! Yeah, she doesn't like Sleepless in Seattle, which, I don't know. I, I, I have fun with it. Um, The last fitness cinema I did before the gym shut down uh, amid COVID was Sleepless in Seattle, and it was a lovely, lovely watch. So. Yeah, I don't think it's like a great movie, but it's fun. It's it's just a, it's appropriately adorable. Like, yep. put a black and white filter on it. You could have released it in ni- in the nineteen fifties. Well, hey, and it brought uh, Cary Grant's movie back to light, so that's okay too. Yeah, yeah. Again, actually, and I take that back because there are references in it that I'm like, you can't get away with that in the fifties, <laughs> right? Yeah. Brad, when's the last time you saw Sleepless in Seattle? I've never seen it. Oh, you've never been sleepless in Seattle, Brad. No, uh, I'm pretty sure I have been sleeping in Seattle. I've, I stay up a lot, so. Okay. And I have been to Seattle, so. That is true. Ooh. So Brad you visited Nintendo's headquarters. Made me jealous. Actually, uh, yeah, there was. I think the second to last time I was there, I didn't rent a hotel room, so I did stay up all night. <laughs> just kind of wandering really? around. Huh? Yeah. No, you you just wandered around. Yeah, until I had to go t- to the airport. So that's all right. I, I mean, I wouldn't if I only had to be there. Few, you know, one day. I mean, it's better than spending a two hundred bucks. Yeah, I just realized Sleepless in Seattle is kind of like a re reimagining of a fair to remember, and you got mail, which you mentioned in there is a remake of Shop Around the Corner. So yep. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan need to remake one other classic screwball comedy to complete their trilogy. <laughs> and I'm just maybe, saying the awful truth with them might not be bad. <laughs> yeah, might not be. I'd see Tom Hanks in it for sure. Yeah.
Let me try again. Um, so, yeah, sorry, guys. Um, I really wanted to watch this movie because I love Rashida Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, well, Zach, sh- sorry. I was going to say, Zach, did you watch Kajillionaire? Because we just make this a... I, I, ended, up, I, I ended up not going because I was finishing up the rough cut on the new film that I made. But, um, uh, um, yeah, sorry about the plug there. But, um, no, but I did see On the Rock, so we can talk about it. Zach, should people see On the Rocks? I think you should. I had a lot of fun with it. And I alluded earlier in the show to why I had fun watching it in the movie theater. There's a couple of things that happen in the movie that I appreciated the sound design in. Um, from like a, just being in the able to be in the theater and kind of hear all the different special sound effects that are going on in it. Um, but also, these are films that I generally like going to see in the theater when I get you know, like the motivation to get out of the house because like, I like, I like films. Like I, I like my Spider-Mans and superhero, superhero movies or whatever, but I like movies like this that like got me into filmmaking where it's like just a small story, like just pe- people going through life in their own different ways. And I liked this little slice of life slash marriage detective story with Rashida Jones and Bill Murray. So um, I guess the only way now you'll be able to see it after the limited engagement is done is on Apple TV. So I may get Apple TV just to rewatch this because I really liked it. Um, It's not the best Sofia Coppola movie I've seen, but it's still a lot of fun. And Bill Murray just knocks it out of the park again. Brad, should people see uh, On the Rocks? Uh. Yeah, I don't know if you have to go to the theater for it. Um, I I fell asleep in it <laughs> at a certain point because uh, a lot of the movie is just Rashida Jones responding to her dad being goofy um, as she tries to determine whether or not uh, her husband's cheating on her. And I think the movie does a good job of making you think that, well, I guess that's a spoiler thing, so I'll, I'll hold off. Um, yeah, it was just okay. Like I, I couldn't really get into it. Like a lot of the movie is kind of the same tone and same scene uh, over and over again. So, yeah. Cool. Here's a trailer. Hi, Dad. Hey, kiddo. Oh my gosh, do you look beautiful. Cliff, how's your mom's hip? Good, thanks. Good. He thinks you're my girlfriend. Grace. Been busy? Yeah. Dean's traveling with clients all the time, and I'm just the buzzkill waiting to schedule things. Just, I'm so stuck. So Dean's going away a lot, huh? On business trips? Dad. Raise your hand if that sounds fishy. He's not like you. He's a good guy, a great dad. Sure, it's nature. Males are forced to fight, to dominate, and to impregnate all females. Maybe he's just not interested in me anymore. Impossible. A woman is at her most beautiful between the ages of 35 and 39. Great, so I have many months left. Really? She's back in town. Been busy? Yeah. Got a lot going on. Do you? He should be worshipping the ground you walk on. And if he's doing something dishonorable, you need to know. What if Dean's just busy? I'm in a rut. That's it. I think we should follow him. What? I think you better see him in action. This is your idea of incognito? Coming through! Woo! 
Here's the plaza. This is the place to have an affair. It has the most exits. Exits on three streets. Can you just act a little less excited about this? Because this is my life. Oh. It might be falling apart. I don't know why women get plastic surgery. Because of men like you. Mm -mm. I prefer the factory original. <laughs> yeah, and every other make and model. Thank you. I'm going to take that as a compliment. <laughs> Are there two? Oh, scared me. I'll let you guys take it away. So, um, Rashida Jones is married to Marlon Wayans. Um, they have two children. Who, how is, like, he's still, like, he looks like he's still in his 20s. Yeah, and uh, I mean, here's what I was going to say. I didn't realize Marlon Wayans had got jacked, because Marlon Wayans looks jacked. Um, but... Like, I remember watching him in, like, Dungeons and & Dragons. And, like, <laughs> and it's still, like, he's in a, he's been, like, an adult for, like, 10 years at that point. I had to look it up, and like, yeah, he's, like, 58 or something. I, I rewatched. um uh, the lady killers not too long ago. And I was just like, and just thinking about it after walking out of the movie, like from, from now to then, it's just like, man, like just like, it just seems like it's been years. Like, or like, it feels like lifetimes have changed over time, you know? Um, Cause yeah. he looks like he's like been working out, man. Like it, it looks like he's still in his thirties. I couldn't, I can't believe it. Yeah. It's astounding. But anyway, they're married, um, <clears throat> but he works a lot. Uh, he works at a tech company where, uh, they're they're gaining traction, and so um, Rashida Jones is worried because one night he comes home after a business trip, starts kissing her, then she says hi, and then he gets disinterested, <laughs> and uh, so uh, she reaches out to her dad, who she's kind of estranged from, but not really, um, and her dad decides to turn this into um, a, a marriage detective story, and the two go on a because he's he's also super eccentric. He's an art yes. dealer. Super eccentric and the love of my heart in this movie. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. But anyway, they go on a journey to figure out if, if indeed Marlon Wayans is cheating on Rashida Jones. And that's the plot of the movie. Um, I, uh, so, but you were saying that like the, uh, the, they, they do a good job. You were saying of uh, leading up to that point. Yeah. You... For, for the majority of the movie. And again, like I blacked out, you know, kind of once they get to Mexico and then right before, like right after, I guess, uh, something catastrophic happens and uh, Rashida turns on her dad. Mm -hmm. um, so I missed that small part of it. But leading up to it, I was pretty convinced that Marlon or, or her husband was cheating on her. They do uh, a really good job at leading you down that road because you are very much stuck in the behind the wheel between with uh, Rashida and Bill the mo most of the time. But did they ever explain, like, from his point of view, like, why, like, that moment in bed, like, he got confused? Like, what was his side of that? Uh, they never explain it. That's the thing. They they never do. Um, it's a loose end that doesn't really go anywhere unless it's the basic fact of, like, he's just exhausted and he's just kind of zonked out. She does say that he takes Xanax during flight in order to um, – uh, uh, de-stress or whatever you know because he doesn't like flights um so maybe that's just kind of inferred of like by the time we get the conclusion that we do it doesn't really matter like because there was no affair going on yeah um, i mean if that was me like that's a pretty valid like i'm pretty sure that person's cheating on me because like his reaction is just so like he's so right. surprised yeah. that it's his wife <laughs> again i moment. don't again like i i kind of just 
I allowed to suspend myself by that point because like the story uh, wasn't really necessarily trying to lead me down that path. I think by the time I get to the scenes in Mexico, um, the story for me changes in an interesting way. So like, this is not the deepest Coppola, Sofia Coppola movie I've seen, but what I appreciated is because it is very breezy and very light it allows the important moments to really hit home. Um, the The whole idea of this, th- like this movie could have been called like my dad's a marriage detective and it would have been just fine. Like it probably would have like been a Netflix release though at that point um, because the enthusiasm that Bill Murray puts into this investigation just to be close to his daughter is like, it's one of those high concept uh, pitches that, I'm happy it was executed the way it was. And so like the logic issues of like that beginning scene and any of the other misleading things as to whether or not Marlon Wayans is cheating on her kind of just it fell to the wayside for me. I'm like, it doesn't matter. We're, we're on a madcap comedy chase here. Um, and one of the reasons I liked watching it in the theater was because that chase scene with the cop um, and Bill Murray's awesome roadster car um, uh, the sound effects of that car pop and the engine popping really hit in the uh, in the Alamo, um, and so it was just really cool to watch this co- classically constructed comedy car chase with that sound effect really hitting home in this like roadster car that is so out of place in modern New York. It was just so much fun, um, and uh, and when he when when she's uh, hammering him about why he left her mother in Mexico. It's one of those performances I haven't I haven't seen Bill Murray give uh, in a while. Where it's just like he's so he's it's it's kind of like he's just like this guy like has really absolutely no way to connect to women the way the women in his life want him to, and all all he can answer with is these blunt answers and there's some there's a huge form of sadness behind that that is masked by his nonchalant eccentric attitude that like by the time you find out it's not a infidelity and she's yelling at him in the hotel room like it's it's doubled down by the fact like he can't react the way she wants him to react and like (laughs) there's a, there's a tragedy in the form of like, this is the only amount of like answer she's going to get from her father. So there's, there's really fun stuff going on in what's otherwise very much like just a breezy affair that I agree. You probably could have just watched this on Apple TV and been fine, but I really liked watching it on a big screen and like hearing a crowd laughing at the jokes and stuff like that. It was, it was a really good time. It was the most positive time I've had at a theater since the reopenings. So Really? Not even yeah. face the music? Because ten, Tenet confused me. Um, and also it was r- right after work. And Personal History of David Copperfield, my issue was is that there was a guy in our theater who kept moving around and switching seats and unnerving the heck out of me. So I'm like, well, I, I don't like it when people are disrupting the movie the way you don't either. So, But in at the Alamo, on the rocks, nothing happened. Movie went on just fine. I just realized you saw Face the Music at home. Yeah, I saw Face the Music at home, yeah. Because yeah. I, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, um, that it was just a very positive experience. So, 
So, um, are you sorry, you guys done? I was trying to time it where I didn't hear it and I came back on. Oh, you weren't listening to the whole thing? Good. No, I wasn't listening at all. Okay. I just heard you started talking about tenants, so then I came back on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't mean to hog the review, Brad, but did you have anything you wanted to add or? Uh, no, like I said, I, I missed, I think probably the most important part of the movie, but like I said, at that point I was kind of like bored with kind of like a, a lot of the movie is just, uh, Bill Murray takes Rashida to dinner and then they have a conversation and then she goes back to her apartment, um, and tries to write and she can't. And then she goes out with her dad again, um, until they go to Mexico. And apparently while sleeping, uh, she had a huge revelatory moment about, relationship with her dad that like i wasn't like oh this is about them and not um actually her husband's infidelity yeah this is about her coming to terms with her father and it's that's there there's something about it like it's it doesn't feel as dense as it ought to but i also appreciate the fact that it doesn't have to pretend to be a super dense piece on familial reconciliation um and then uh, there's something that I noticed on this film. I, I am not a big Sofia Coppola watcher beyond Lost in Translation and uh, Marie Antoinette and I think Virgin Suicides. I can't remember if I've watched Virgin Suicides. But um, she 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 shoots incredibly well. And there are moments in this film that remind me of like the way you establish uh, in a comedy, like going to a locale. Like there's just beautiful shots of Mexico. There's beautiful shots in New York City. There's a clear sense of momentum, even when, uh, uh, even when obviously you're sitting down for those long conversations, and whatnot. So there was an old style feel to the film that I did enjoy a lot. Like there's a construction about it that was very light. And also I appreciated that it's a 96 minute movie that makes me feel like I had a full experience of the theater without um, feeling like everything went by too quickly or, you know, and nothing dragged for me in the film either, really apart from when they're at his work party. Like, I just felt like that scene, all it does is establish the girl that he might be having an affair with, but it felt like you could have like done something else or whatever. It just felt like that might've been one scene too many. And the Jenny Slate scenes are a little bit um, uh, not needed, but I also like Jenny Slate. So I'm not going to argue with having those in there, but it, you could have lost them and it probably would have trimmed out another like five minutes or so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So um, I have a couple um, suggestions for next week. Um, (laughs) If you guys want to stay at home, I have the new Adam Sandler Halloween movie. Hubie Halloween is streaming. This is what happens when we don't give him an Oscar nomination. (laughs) You understand this. We have to watch with (laughs) Laura. Yeah, it it looks fun. Or um, the Alamo is doing a fantastic fest present of the Wolf of Snow Hollow, which I thought looked really fun. Yeah, I saw that trailer last, or while I was watching On the Rocks or Possessor. Yeah, Possessor. That lo- actually does look good. Cool. Do you want to do that one? Uh, which screening is it? Because the Alamo just says like fantastic or oh. just screening. It doesn't actually list the name. So I'm on the app right now, and it is playing Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Oh, it's three at- times. Yeah, at 1, 420, 730, and 1035. Huh. Okay. We, can just, we can just do that. That's also Robert Forster's final movie. Yeah, yeah. do that. Yeah, so cool. it's playing all weekend. 
I actually wish I wasn't working Saturday because they're starting to do the, uh, dismember the Alamo screenings. Oh, I, Brian, I already found, I already uh, guessed which one of what, which one, one of them is. What, uh, which one? Uh, it, there, it, I will, I don't want to spoil it for any potential listeners, but I'll tell you off mic, but the clue I will give is, is that the movie is released in 1922 because they list the year in the, uh, in the app. So mm. I already know what it is. Oh, it's not just, it's not a dismember the almost screen. It's just its own thing. Well, yeah. it's just, it, they're just doing the one screening per week um, instead of doing them all in a row so that they can keep the secret. But I think that the issue is, is that in the app, they're listing the years that the things came out and giving more clues for it. So No, I get it. it, it I thought the Snow Hollow was a dismember screening, but they're separate things. I think it's last bad- week it was their um, new like fun movie, if that makes sense. Um, that yeah. they didn't release what the title was. So you showed up and that was what they were showing. Um, and then this week is they have it screening because yeah, the full, I think full that's release, what's yeah. cool about the Alamo is I think why it'll be okay for until more big movies come out is their their specialty screenings. Well, yeah, they 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 embrace the the smaller films, whereas like Regal, like their bread and butter is the blockbuster. So yeah, yeah if they don't have those; they're screwed. Yeah, they don't have the, their audience doesn't go to the to the neat films either. So yeah, there's tons of cool indie stuff coming out so i think the alamo and landmark will be okay for the time being so yeah so uh i'm excited yeah next week we'll be seeing the wolf of snow hollow because i think it looks fun yeah Yeah. and and it's a werewolf movie so cool sweet and then uh we're gonna do film explosion we said the 23rd on the episode but we looked at the calendar and that's like a friday well i'm just saying that's the week of okay Okay, gotcha. To yeah, I, have, I have that Saturday and Sunday off, so. I, I think uh, my freaking tweet is really, like, clever, too. Oh, snap. What? I'll, I'll tell uh, you. My tweet for uh, due date. So, here, I'll read it to you. We're, we are expecting Film Explosion 2010 to be delivered on 10-23-20. We are so excited to announce this with you guys. That's like, you know. It's like you're delivering a baby, but it's it's, yeah, it's podcast. You got, it. you got it. Oh my gosh. So oh, genius. So clever. Cool. Hey, dude, well, thanks for listening. 2010. And, um, we'll see you guys at the movies. Sweet. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening and have a nice day.